KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast. I'm Jay Scott Smith, joined today, of course, as always, by Brian Seltzer and Sabrina Boyd Circa. Guys, we've had a lot going on this week, and it's just Wednesday. And that's not even withstanding the news that broke just before we started recording that Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is set to retire from the bench, giving President Biden his first chance to make his first selection to go on to the Supreme Court. We've got that. Plus, today, we also got an update from a friend of the podcast, your fave trash man. He's checking in with us again. But on this day, January 26th, it makes makes us and me in particular think back to two years ago today when we lost the iconic Philadelphia native, one of the greatest NBA players of all time, Kobe Bryant. Yeah, Jay, I was not a real big Kobe Bryant guy. I grew up in the area, and the 2001 run to the finals was ended by Kobe, Shaq, and the Lakers. So as a professional athlete, I was never a fan of Kobe Bryant. He had some really unfortunate, dark issues he had to deal with away from the court at times during his career. But there really was this affinity for Kobe that I think increased over time, and especially him really being so strongly associated perhaps even more in death and shortly after death than while he was alive, this whole girl dad thing and his relationship with Gianna and just seeing the the photos of the two of them together today, just so tough, hard, and yeah, and it's just tough to look back on some of that stuff. This is definitely something that transcends sports. You know, Kobe was such a public figure in general, especially around here. I think, I don't know if it was you, Brian, or Tom, maybe yesterday, who said that everything, Kobe's whole life before the NBA basically happened here. And so there are a lot of people who knew him. I know someone through theater who grew up and went to high school, I think went to prom with him. And I was seeing all of those things come out and just, you know, it, this is another very Philadelphia thing that really hit our hearts pretty hard. Kobe Kobe had an impact in this city, and it's much bigger than just the basketball, being at Lower Marion High School and his trek to the NBA. Our Dave Uram got a chance to talk with Mike Silski, who recently wrote a book about Kobe Bryant. We'll hear some of that and get in some of our own reflections coming up on this podcast, because that afternoon certainly stuck with me because I had to make the announcement on the air that he had died in the crash. We'll get to that coming up here on the podcast. But first, let's get to a rundown of today's headlines. And one of the biggest news stories so far today is that Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer is set to retire from the bench, meaning that President Biden will get to appoint his first new justice to the bench of his presidential term. Everyone is going to be talking about this for the next few days. Who knows how long everyone will be talking about this. President Biden pledged to appoint the first black woman to the Supreme Court. So here's his chance. Let's see what he'll do. Guys, this was already shaping up to be an insane year in the political realm in 2022. In a perfect world, the Supreme Court would be viewed as an apolitical entity. But we know that there's going to be jockeying for power and leveraging. I might have to go into a cave at times. I don't know if I am fully ready for this. I mean, the current Supreme Court term ends at the end of June, and that's when Justice Breyer, at least at this point, according to reports, as far as we know, is said to be retiring at that point in time, but the lead up to that, what happens after the fact, oh baby, I've got the seatbelt or the earmuffs. I don't know. (laughs) 
Yeah, if we ever, uh, if this podcast just stops coming out for a week, just know that we've gone dark because we can't handle the news anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Breyer, he's 83 years old. He is the second most senior associate justice. He's been on the court since 1994. He was appointed by then-President Bill Clinton. His retirement also means that Clarence Thomas now becomes the oldest standing justice at age 73. So we'll see where this goes, and we will prepare to possibly lose Brian for a few days when we get to the (laughs) summer when we start talking about this. Friend of the podcast who came on here with us for the MLK Day edition of the show, your fave trash man Terrell Hagler, he joined us a little while ago to talk about his MLK Day of Service community cleanup. And right after they removed 10 tons of trash, 10 tons of trash. Yep. At third and summer. Let me say that again. Ten tons of it. That, that that is so much garbage. Someone just dumped it there at third and Somerville, but they put such great work in to get that done, Sabrina, to get it out of there. Yeah. So the the uh sad update to this, however, you know, great news. The cleanup went very well. A hundred people were there. They picked up ten tons of trash, cleaned up this street where kids were forced to walk in the street because the trash was clogging the sidewalks. The next day, the very next day, one of Terrell's friends is driving by the area, sends him a picture and video because somebody had dumped there again. I asked Terrell about this and whether he thought it was kind of intentional or, you know, if the fact that they were cleaning it up made some people think, hey, here's a good area to go dump. It's going to be clean. And he said, yeah. This is a broken cycle. So many people who, who, not just me, I mean, who've been cleaning for years are still in business because when you clean, they go right back and create uh, dumps again. It was so much stuff out there. These were like serial dumpers. They knew this was their spot. So then they probably saw it on the news like, oh, listen, it's going to be clean tomorrow. I'll wait or I'll wait till tonight. Like, yeah, for sure, without a shadow of a doubt. But we have to get to those people and let them know, like, this isn't this isn't cool anymore. So now you fave trash man has started a petition to add cameras to that specific corner. There are cameras in various parts of the city, but it's just really difficult to get the cameras up, but also track what happens next, you know, have that accountability, have that enforcement. Where is that footage going and who is checking it and who is tracking people down when they dump. And it's also more about getting to the root of the problem, you know, not just punishment, but making it affordable to dump construction waste. It costs $120 per ton to dump in the city. State Representative Jason Dawkins had to pay $1,200 to legally dump the trash that was picked up on that day at Yafave Trash Man's cleanup. Thanks to him for taking on that uh, that fee. But you can imagine why some people who are just doing construction don't want to pay that much or don't know where to go because most sanitation centers don't take construction waste. You have to go to a few specific places. It might be across the city. It's very hard to find. This is what Yafe of Trashman preaches, you know, is getting this knowledge out there, making things transparent making it easier to clean up, to, to do the right thing. He told me the biggest thing he need is, needs is for everyone to buy in, for everyone across the city to be on board. And he used a comparison that Jay and Brian, I think you two will appreciate. 
But my thing is, if if everybody bought in, like I always make a Ben Simmons joke, right? <laughs> ben Simmons hasn't bought into the fact that he's a a, a a a pivotal piece for the Sixers right now, so he doesn't care. If we could get everybody in Philadelphia to buy in to a clean Philly, to buy in to unnormalizing living in filth, to buy in to the fact that illegal dumping really hurts the community. We would have so much energy from everybody. So I think some people would probably trade Ben Simmons for just some of the mounds of garbage that we're getting picked up in that part of the city. But that I digress there. <laughs> some harsh words for, for Ben Simmons. But this petition is on change.org. If you follow your fave trash man, he's on Twitter, Instagram, you know, social media is his thing. You will find the link to this petition if you want to go sign it. Again, he says he really wants this to be a citywide mission. It's going to take all of us. I, I don't want credit on cleaning Philadelphia. I want to share this monumentous thing with the entire city. I want everybody in the city to feel like they did their part to clean our city. So my only ask is that everybody joins the Your Fave Trash Man movement, that everybody in this city, no matter your zip code, no matter the block name, no matter the block number, deserves to live around and on a clean block. I mean, that's that's not asking a lot. And it also speaks to a certain level of disrespect that these people have for that part of the city, too, where they just think, we can just dump this garbage here. Who's going to care? Nobody notices. Look at this neighborhood. Who really cares about it? That is something that just you can tell from his passion for this sort of thing that these are still human beings. These are still people living in this area and they don't want to be basically living in a, a gigantic garbage dump of a neighborhood, especially when they know there's potential for it to be a whole lot better. Just an immense amount of respect for anyone because I think your fave trash man is one of these types of people, not the only one, who can continue to push and advocate for change, making things better in in his case, the literal face of like people literally dumping trash on his figurative front lawn, you know, throwing the trash right back in his face. It's just amazing to hear him continue to speak so passionately and in such committed ways about it. And I also think it really is worth stating again for a city and also businesses, these people who are benefiting from development in and around the city and doing the construction, it is incumbent upon them to find the right solution for this. It shouldn't be up. I admire it. It shouldn't be up to you, fave trash man. <laughs> the people who are benefiting in their pockets from this need to find a solution and be as passionate about it as much as your fave trash man is. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, a few days ago we were talking about gun violence and how education or improving schools could help something like this. Kids walking around a community where there is literally trash everywhere is, like you said, it's disrespectful. It's not going to make them feel valuable. You know, they live in this trashy. I don't say that to insult the people or the neighborhood. Literally, but like, literally trash neighborhood They're They the self-esteem is really important. To it it builds in this mindset that you should be used to living in filth, as he mentioned there. It's just not cool. Now, you can, by the way, if you want to hear more on what your fave trash man had to say about that cleanup and about the state of really keeping a lot of these neighborhoods clean, go back and listen to that episode of The Rundown that we did 
on Martin Luther King Day where he talked about that. It's actually a really kind of insightful interview that kind of gives you a little bit more a little bit more of an idea of what this dude's about. We'll get one other thing in here really quick. We go from the city to the suburbs where Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, or as we affectionately call it around here, CHOP, is opening a new facility in King of Prussia, or as we like to call it, KOP. A lot of acronyms happening right now. It will be CHOP's second inpatient hospital in their 166-year history, and it's going to be the first pediatric emergency room in Montgomery County. Dr. Allison Ballantine describes what the new location will be like. All of our resources are focused on children. So we have little teeny tiny test tubes and we have, you know, decorated um, elevator lobbies and the whole nine yards. So it's really focused on how can we support our kids and our patients and our families through this, what is undeniably a tough time. I mean, obviously, it's just adorable with the little little tiny stuff stuff made for little kids. But at the same time, I was like, oh, geez, but these little these little ones are in the hospital for something. You don't like to think about that, but it will certainly be helpful to have another facility like that to help out so many children in this area who may need all sorts of different medical care. Well, because it's not easy to always get in to CHOP's primary location by pen off the Schuylkill. And I don't know if you guys have driven past the King of Prussia um, interchange lately where you have the Turnpike, the Blue Route, 422-202. It's right around there. The building itself is amazing. And luckily, um, have not had to be in CHOP for too long or too much for anything, whether as it was myself growing up in the area or our kids. But they do such an amazing job making these facilities not feel like they're supposed to do the function that they're supposed to do. And just the building itself is amazing. If you haven't driven past it yet, keep an eye out. Tim Jimenez was on the radio this morning talking about a cancer patient, a young cancer patient in Montgomery County, whose family had to drive an hour to get into the city when he got a fever. So things like that. You know, I think we in the city don't realize how far people who live in the suburbs have to go for medical care, especially any kind of specialized medical care. So this is going to be really, really helpful. It is. It, it's absolutely amazing. And it's a type of place where, as Brian was kind of alluding to, it's a type of place you don't want to end up going. But if you end up going there, you know you're going to get the best care from the people over at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Now, you can get all these headlines and so much more on our website, kwnewsradio.com. And when we take a quick break, we're going to talk about the late Kobe Bryant. As This is the two-year anniversary of the helicopter crash that ended not just his life, but his daughter Gianna's. You're listening to The Rundown. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith, along with Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. Today marks two years since the death of Kobe Bryant, along with his daughter, Gianna, who were aboard a helicopter that crashed on a mountain about 30 miles west of Los Angeles. This particular day, January 26, 2020, I was on the air. I was still a weekend anchor at this point in time. I was on the air, and over at the editor's desk, Dan Micah, who's one of our lead editors, drops an expletive and says, oh, my God, Kobe Bryant's dead. And I stopped because I had my headphones on and I thought I'm like, did I looked and said, wait, dude, what did you just say? He's like, Kobe's dead. So we have to start this panicked thing in the newsroom. Everybody has that moment of where they were when they heard this to have to be in the newsroom to do this we have to kind of shut down the sports fan thing for a second and get the information because we want to make sure we get this right. When it's time to go, 
This is what it sounds like at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, January 26, 2020. Breaking news on KYW News Radio. Former NBA superstar and Philadelphia native Kobe Bryant was killed this morning in a helicopter crash in California. That's according to multiple news outlets, and it was first reported by TMZ. Authorities say that five people were on board when the helicopter went down this morning near Calabasas, California. Now, Brian was born in Philadelphia and went to Lower Marion High School, where he ended his high school career as as Southeastern Pennsylvania's all-time leading scorer. Bryant played his entire 20-year NBA career after being taken 13th in the 1997 NBA draft. If I sound a little disoriented and I'm trying to, it's because a lot of this is coming to me. And we didn't know that his daughter was on this helicopter at the time. It was just an awful, awful day. This was one of those cultural moments. And to have been on air for that. But that was one that was so strange and so weird for me. I'd love before we go into this to kind of get a little bit of your reflection on where you were on January 26, 2020. I'll start with you first, Brian. I was in the TJ Maxx side of the TJ Maxx home goods store on Columbus Boulevard, standing by a clothing rack while my wife was trying on clothes in TJ Maxx. And I got a text, I think, from someone who I worked with. I was working for the Sixers at the time. And the Sixers, if people remember, they played the Lakers the night before at Wells Fargo. And not only did they play the Lakers the night before, but there was a whole big thing because LeBron James passed Kobe for third all-time on the NBA scoring list. LeBron was in communication with Kobe. So Kobe was in the national sports conscience at that point in time. He was as fresh on people's minds, at least who view basketball, as it could have been because LeBron passed him. And yeah, standing there in the TJ Maxx, I got the notice first. I would assume I probably got a little bit before some people started looking at their phones because of the notifications that I had set. And you keep scrolling and scrolling and you hope that it's a report that's debunked and it's not confirmed and substantiated. And then you just start to hear the, oh, and and like, no. And like people audibly in a public, in TJ Maxx, just reacting to the news of the story. Listen, I grew up in the area. I cannot say I was the biggest fan of Kobe Bryant. As a basketball player, of course, the Lakers ended the Sixers run in 2001. I think you needed to have respect for him. Obviously, what he accomplished as an athlete off the court, there were issues that he was involved in, namely 2003-2004 when he was caught up in the sexual assault incident out in Colorado. Um, I think that publicly he had repaired his image over time, up to anyone out there if you wanted to look past that. But I think the biggest thing, at least for me, that stuck with me about the story on the human side was his relationship with his daughter, Gianna, 13 years old, when the helicopter crashed. And there were times we would see Kobe sitting courtside at a game with Gianna, the photos they had together, the bond they shared over sports. By all accounts, she was on a path to becoming a really exceptional basketball player herself. I mean, listen, it's heavy, but just thinking about the uh, the final moments, um, ugh, terrible story. And uh, yeah, just the reaction, my reaction to it is still pretty fresh. I don't remember the moment that that I heard about this, but I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. Any father and daughter dying in a helicopter crash is absolutely tragic. And then I said before, this really transcends sports. I did not follow his career. Of course, I knew his name. And it was also the fact that he 
is from this area, I started hearing people, friends of mine, people who I worked with telling stories about growing up with him or just, you know, knowing his history, which I didn't know very much about. And it all sort of came out at that time, which made it just all the more tragic, the more that you do learn and know about him and his family. And in fact, Mike Sealski just wrote a book all about Kobe Bryant, The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. And our sports reporter, Dave Uram, talked with him about this. I think that this book has to be, even as someone who doesn't follow sports, I would be interested in reading this just about the life and the man that Kobe Bryant was. My goal in, in embarking on the project was to try to write the definitive biography of Kobe's early life. I want somebody to be able to pick this book up today, a year from now, five years from now, 25 years from now, and read it and be able to say, by reading this book, I understand who Kobe Bryant became as a man and as a cultural figure. He was a cultural icon. And he's one of those guys that it's easy to say you transcend sports and then you realize he won an Academy Award. He had like broadcast companies. He was doing all these different things. He had this amazing documentary he did with Spike Lee about his life. He was opening up these centers for he, he, these different sports centers for kids. My mother is a huge Laker fan. And I don't mean just like in the 90s Laker fan or whatever. Like my mother was a fan of the Lakers when Jerry, Re Jerry West and Gail Goodrich and Wilt Chamberlain and Pat Riley played for the team in the 60s and 70s. Her two favorite players of all time were Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant. She comes home and sees it on television and instinctively calls me during a commercial in tears hearing about Kobe's death. And just simply she says to me, is it true? And I said to her, yeah, yeah, mama, I just announced it on air. And she just got really teary eyed. And that was that was the toughest part for me, because if your mom starts crying, it messes with my head. And I can't I'm an emotional dude to begin with. But he, and that's an impact where the word of his death hit so heavy. This was a major deal. And Mike also talked about a lot of things dealing with Kobe's life, the impact that Philadelphia had on him. And he also talked about a lot about greatness because Kobe was big into the Mamba mentality. Greatness was his thing. And here's one of the things that Mike talked about. What are some of your favorite stories from the research that you did in the writing that you did? There's a couple that really stand out. One in particular, Kobe had a friend when he was 14 or 15 years old who was a couple of years older who he met through his older sisters. And the two of them would drive around to playgrounds in and around the city and they'd play ball, but they play a particular brand of basketball. Kobe would work on his shots on three pointers, you know, footwork, all that stuff. And the friend had two jobs. He was to rebound all of Kobe's shots and pass the ball back to him. And he was to scream at Kobe. You're soft. You go to a white school. You're not tough enough to play in the public league. And Kobe asked him to do this and wanted him to do it so that he would kind of be emotionally girded for what he was already facing from his peers and his competitors what he was going to face throughout his high school career and what he was going to face throughout his NBA career. He wanted to be ready for the trash talk and for the accusation that you're not really tough enough to be a great player because you grew up in the suburbs. Um, there, there's a situation, there's a story that his agent, his former agent, Arn Tellum, told me about Kobe heading into his first season in the NBA and Tellum asks him about John Stockton, the great guard from the Utah Jazz. And Kobe, you know, tell him, says, well, what do you think of Stockton? And Kobe says, oh, I played against guys like him in the Philadelphia Catholic League. Like, 
are you kidding? This is John Stockton. He's one of the greatest point guards of all time. And Kobe's reducing him to like, you know, the point guard from Monsignor Bonner High School in Delaware County or something. So it gives you these insights into how he thought about himself and how great he thought he was going to be. Kobe loved the city of Philadelphia, despite the fact that they didn't exactly love him too much in 2001. (laughs) But here's what Mike had to say about the impact that the Philadelphia area had on Kobe's life. Two-part question. How do you think the Philadelphia area, Delaware Valley, the really great basketball history that comes from this area, great local basketball, how do you think that shaped Kobe? And how important was Kobe Bryant to the Lower Marion School District, township? So how did this area shape him, and how important was he to the area that, that he made a big basketball powerhouse? All right, first things first. I think the area shaped him a lot, and I think he knew that at an early stage. You see him going to play in the Sunny Hill League when he's very young and going to play on the playgrounds of the city and, you know, areas just outside the city, because he knows intrinsically he can't just stick to the lower Marion community and he can't just rely on the experiences he had in Italy to kind of forge him as a basketball player. He's got to put himself in situations where he's going against the best of the best. So he's playing pickup games in East Falls and in South Philly and North Philly. And as I said, playing in the Sunny Hill League, doing all those things uh, and the AAU circuit to make himself great. In terms of his impact on the Lower Marion community, he literally takes Lower Marion from just being another run-of-the-mill basketball program in suburban Philadelphia to a place that it's kind of been at ever since. The Aces win the district and state championships Kobe senior year. They are a traveling road show. The Sixers were so bad at the time that you can make an argument that Lower Marion boys basketball was the prime basketball show in the Philadelphia area in 1995 and 1996. And the program has stayed at that level ever since under Greg Downer. They've won a couple more state championships. They've been a top program ever since. And as Greg Downer says in the book, Kobe taught us how to win. And he remains and was at the time just an enormous point of pride. He was somebody who that entire community, whether you black, whether you were white, whether you cared about basketball, whether you didn't, could rally around. You know, the best high school basketball player in the country is in our community. He's playing at our local high school. And isn't this great? And a lot of people in the community still feel that way about him. He was an icon. He really was. But in in retrospect, I think maybe you often hear this. The biggest regret about Kirby Bryant is that we didn't really get to find out what his next chapter was, what he was going to do next. I think the thing that Mike's book accomplishes is that for anyone who felt like you could tell the story of Kobe Bryant without including Philadelphia, uh, well, you can't. It is an immense part. It is a vital part of Kobe Bryant's story, what he went through, how he was shaped by everything around here. And the great subplot twist was for as much as the fans here booed him and couldn't stand him on the court, in the end, when he retired that final night at Wells Fargo, There was as much love in the room as you could expect anyone from here to show to one of their own, let alone an opposing player, let alone an opposing player from a hated, reviled, arch nemesis team. You know, the Sixers-Lakers, a huge rivalry over time. But Mike does a great job. I've known Mike for a really long time, and I think that for as good as Mike is reporting on X's and O's about sports and helping people understand the why of what happens in a game or with a play or anything like that, Mike can really unearth the human elements of sports that make them relatable to all people. And this book goes into Kobe almost 
going to LaSalle, where his dad was an assistant coach. There's a companion podcast, which is a great listen. It's called I Am Kobe. And the thing that separates this book that Mike talked about in his interview with Dave is that Mike got his hands on audio tapes of interviews conducted with Kobe. He did them with a guy named Jeremy Treatment. Some people might know that name. But these were interviews that Kobe did while he was in high school at Lower Marion. So who else has content like that? No one. And in some ways, it's probably more insightful to hear Kobe talk about poignant moments of his life at that point in time in the moment than it would have been if he were still alive and reflecting on them. So some really cool material, really powerful to see the words of it. But also I would definitely recommend people checking out the podcast, I Am Kobe, where you can actually hear the grainy cassette tape audio of these interviews that Jeremy Treatment did with Kobe that Mike then used for his book. And you can hear this full conversation with Dave Urim and Mike Sielski on KYW News Radio in depth. Check out that feed on KYWNewsRadio.com. And of course, you can also subscribe to KYW News Radio in depth. You can hear it, of course, here on the Odyssey app, or you can find it just about wherever you get your podcast. We want to thank you for checking out today's edition of The Rundown, which is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. The show is produced by Brian Seltzer and Sabrina Boyd Circa. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is Tom Rickard. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jay Scott Smith. On Instagram and Facebook, it's Real Jay Scott Smith. And you can hear me every afternoon on KW News Radio starting at 3 p.m. for Philadelphia's Afternoon News. Be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown PHL. And you can hear us, of course, once again, right here on the Odyssey app for free or just about wherever you get your podcast. So for Sabrina Boyd, Circa, and Brian Seltzer, I'm Jay Scott Smith thanking you for checking out this Wednesday edition of The Rundown. <laughs>